Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes Jason Sheff. Welcome to Inside Music Cast, a podcast devoted to musicians, fans, and the people that make music happen. I'm Rick Such. And I'm Eddie Cabello. Welcome, everybody, from around the world. And as Rick mentioned, Inside Music Cast is devoted to bringing you candid interviews, news, and information with the musicians, fans, and people that make music happen. That's right. This is the podcast that goes beyond the pop star and features the talent behind the talent. So if you're ready, let's get started. When you mention the name Chicago, people roll out the mental red carpet and pay homage to one of the most influential rock bands ever. And after 40 years of delivering classic hits, their momentum and influence still remain strong with their recent 2006 release of Chicago 30. If you're familiar with the band's music, then you're familiar with Jason Sheff, one of Chicago's lead vocalists and bass players for the past 21 years. Over the years, Jason's talent has helped Chicago deliver some of the most played and most loved music around the world. His writing skills have also contributed to hits such as Will You Still Love Me, You're Not Alone, and What Kind of Man Would I Be? But don't think that Jason is only Chicago deep. He comes from deep musical roots, as his father was Elvis Presley's bassist for years. Amazing where a musical heritage can take you. Inside Music Cast welcomes one of Chicago's best, Jason Chef. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Good to have you, Jason. Man, I, I can't believe that that 20 years have passed since you've you know decided to join <laughs> Chicago. Time, time has just flown. I know. And I, you're probably still one of the new guys, right? I am. In fact, I always get a kick out of somebody saying, are asking me, are you one of the original members? And and I say no. And if you if you can tell if they really have their heart set on meeting one, they okay. they, they kind of like <laughs> their shoulders droop for a second, and then they realize they might be insulting me. And so they'll they'll I'll say no, I'm not. And they go, oh, well, that's okay. I'm sure it's still good, you know, kind of thing. And I and I love to rope them in and say. Yeah, you know, I just joined. In fact, I'm 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 the new guy. I just joined. They go, oh, that that's okay. And I said, yeah, I just 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 joined 21 years ago. <laughs> Love to see the look on their face. I've heard I've heard Bill Champlin say the same thing. You know, I'm still a new guy, and I've been here for 20 plus years. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've got a question for you. In you know, there over the past five years, there's been uh, such a resurgence and in interest in in classic, what I consider classic rock and roll. I mean, um, I mean, all the you know the stations are still playing stuff from Chicago, and and I know you guys are still. Last year, you toured with Earth, Wind, and Fire. The Eagles are starting to tour. The, I mean, the Who finished. The Police are going to go out. I guess uh, Rick told me the other day that even Genesis is thinking about going back on tour. They are. What, what can you attest all this? Uh, give me your, your 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 perspective, Jason, as to why why is this classic rock just getting bigger and bigger? Even teen, teens are getting sucked into it again, you know? Oh, gosh. I could go on for hours about this. Yeah. Let me try and, try and make it uh, somewhat concise, but... It is, here's the simple answer, because it's great music. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading some really interesting books lately, and we'll kind of get into later in the interview some uh, theories and, and concepts that I agree to and subscribe to and, and where I'm headed as, a, as an artist of new music. Yeah. But um, there's a, there are a couple books out. One's called The Long Tail, and one is called Purple Cow. Mm-hmm. That are pretty interesting. I think it was the long tail where he, he uh, 
he showed how during that whole collapse of the record industry around the year 2000 or 2001, mm-hmm. I think this is the easiest way to, to summarize it, uh, is that the peak of record industry sales, where they had gotten to the point that they looked at what the target was, young kids, specifically young girls, what do they need to sell to them? Okay, how about virile young men? Mm-hmm. And so they put together, you know, NSYNC was already together, but they moved them over to Jive Records to give them a little bit more of an urban vibe, so they were capitalizing on the fact that yeah. urban music was getting big, and so right. they, they, they had the magic combination. So they released this record, and I think it sold 2.7 million in the first day mm. or week. It was, it was one of those two, a record that probably will never be broken. Amazing. And so, on one level, the industry was saying, look at this, we figured it out, we blah, blah, blah. But underneath it all, the, the, the ground was starting to crack and crumble. Yeah. And what happened was the peer-to-peer file-sharing thing came out shortly after that and just absolutely threw everybody for a loop. Yeah. But what happened, and the most interesting part of that, I, I feel, is that the next year, when you allowed the, those same 2.7 million people, kids, that bought that record, the ability to, however you want to categorize it, stealing it, sharing the music, whatever. Yeah. Um, they didn't steal NSYNC. <laughs> they, were, they, they discovered that their tastes were a lot more diverse than what yeah. people had told them they Interesting. were. Interesting, yeah. That's the part of it that I think is so awesome about what happened. Yeah. As a, as a writer and an artist, it's a drag that you don't get the revenue that uh, you're due. And, it, and just like in software development, it's, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill people if they aren't able to be compensated for their work. Mm-hmm. But I think in the big picture, what was awesome about it is that it opened up the choices to people, especially kids, that, hey... They, you know, they're, they're, they're able to finally hear music that never would have made it out to them. You're probably right. right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's proven. Yeah. And, you know, this book, The Long Tail, really shows the power of, uh, it, you know, suddenly it's more niche-oriented, and it, that's what's scaring uh, the daylights out of industry and everything, is that it's, you know, we've been geared towards the blockbuster and the hit for yeah. so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is the most exciting thing as a, as a songwriter and an artist uh, to come down the pike for me ever because suddenly I'm not making music anymore trying to come up with a hit or what I think mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is going to sell the blockbuster uh, thing because I, I have a MySpace page that I started in January of this year, 07, kind of as a, as a little fun experiment, the answer to all the fans that were saying, when are you going to make a solo record? You know, right. They knew I had a lot of material sitting around, so I just put it up there and saw how much this thing was getting hit. <laughs> and it was throwing gasoline on the fire for me. It's amazing. The oh, it's totally amazing because suddenly, um, you know, I'm not thinking of, well, I need to find a label or a publisher to give me permission to be an artist and and run my songs by them for them to say, well, I don't think that one's that good because yeah, it's yeah. it's not going to be able to be placed over here in this, in this radio, blah, 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 or in this uh, record store because... They mm-hmm. need to stock the top whatever titles that are going to sell sure, so exactly they can right. keep their lights on. Yeah. And suddenly, it's real simple. 
you go out and you find who your fans are, and I feel so grateful that I've been with Chicago for 21 years. That's amazing. That there is a, a good, solid fan base out there, and they keep asking me, what do you got? And so I put this out there. Boom. It's immediate <laughs> uh, data research. You know, you see what's selling, what, uh, not selling yet, but I mean, what, what well, is selling because they want to hear it. Right. And uh, same thing with Bobby Kimball. You know, he asked me to produce his next CD. Boom. I go to my fans, tell them about They're freaking out. They're pretty much, you know, Toto and Chicago are, are sure. uh, pretty compatible. Mm-hmm. And the same thing over at, uh, at their Toto Network. You know, they talk about it, and it's, you're dealing directly with your fans, and, the, and there's the immediate reaction. Not, mm-hmm. uh, well, to add to something you started a minute, or you were mentioning a minute ago about how letting you know, not letting the record labels decide what gets right, out there and what exactly. people hear. Now, even if it's something that the record label wouldn't necessarily want on your album or want out in public, the fans can now decide what they want. You know, you're absolutely right. And, and here's what's so exciting for me, too, is that what I've been doing out there is, uh, is I've been connecting with the fans. Mm-hmm. And so I've taken them along on a journey saying, here's a song that isn't finished yet. You know, check this out. Here's, right. You know, I'm putting this mix together, and, and here's where I have it so far. What do you think? And mm-hmm. they write back mm-hmm. and say, wow, I think some guitars, you know, being a little louder over here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the next thing I know, I've had four or five versions on this MySpace page, and people are, are attacking it, you know. And, and at the end of it, they're saying, that was, like, so much fun. It felt like I was in the <laughs> studio with you. Is there any way I can buy every single version that yeah. you had? At my- <laughs> wow. Sure. You know, uh, so, so, so... I don't even really have to think about finished songs. And by the way, it, 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 it's self-perpetuating. I keep telling my buddies about this. I say, if you want to get motivated, find your fans, put a piece of music up, let them drive you. And I guarantee you it will. When you start seeing the hits that you'll get on these pages, mm-hmm. and, and then you do a little work to it, and boom, it comes back at you again. I mean, that dynamic to me is like the most exciting thing I've probably ever felt in music. I have something that's sort of uh, comparative to that. Um, we just started Inside Music Cast about, well, it's going on a year, I guess about nine or ten months ago, and Eddie and I started this without having any any inclination or any idea how, if it was going to be successful, who was going to listen to it, and uh, we found a way to track. You know, uh, Obviously, we can look at our reports and see who's hitting the site, but we also found a way to track all of the downloads from all of our shows. Mm-hmm. And just last week, we crossed over the 25,000 download uh, Mark and and for us that was pretty phenomenal. That's so awesome! Yeah, and it, it just blew me away. And there's a lot of people out there that want to hear about, you know, uh, people like yourself and other others that we've interviewed. And it's uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal the power of the internet and power of networking. It's motivating too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It it makes you want to get up and go to work, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> That's how I feel too. It's. Uh, I'll tell you one thing real quickly. I just came back from Nashville and we played the Bluebird Cafe. Mm-hmm. What was so awesome is that uh, they say there were 10 of them, but it looked like it was 20. Am I fudging the numbers? Maybe. But uh, <laughs> at, at least 10 of my fans flew in from all over the country. Look at that. <laughs> you know, That's drove cool. in, too. That's I had cool. some people that had driven nine hours to be yeah. at this Bluebird Cafe thing. But we're, it was a songwriters in the round with Greg Barnhill, who was a, a co-writer, a uh, friend of mine that I've written probably about 50 songs with. He wrote Walk Away Joe for Trisha Yearwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a bunch of other great songs. Uh, Dennis McCoskey, 
So I wrote uh, with Greg Barnhill a song off Chicago 30 that we released last year mm-hmm. called King of Might Have Been. Dennis also wrote Maniac, Mirror, Mirror, and most recently he had uh, uh, I Need You, Leanne Rhymes, and uh, You'll Think of Me, Keith Urban. Mm-hmm. The, the fourth wow. writer was Lee Nash, who was the singer, songwriter for Sixpence. Yeah. Um, and so she had, you know, There She Goes and, and Kiss mm-hmm. Me. Right. And so we, we webcast this thing, and it was so awesome because the fans, you know, my fans were there, and, and at one point and we would try and figure out what we were going to do, and I loved the fact that it wasn't all planned out. Mm-hmm. It was very off the cuff. And at one point, I looked at Barnhill, and I said, he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, let's play one of the singles. And he goes, what? And I said, let's play one of the singles. One of the singles released on my MySpace page, and everybody started <laughs> laughing. And so I picked the tune that we had up on this thing that got a lot of plays. Yeah. And the cool thing was, they knew the song. Look at that. They knew the song. So it was a hit, you know, on a small level, but it just it showed you the, yeah. the potential of what is out there. That, you know, listen, I, like I said, I've been in, in the band Chicago for 21 years. Mm-hmm. We just recorded Chicago 30, right. the first album of new material in 15 years. It's amazing. Yeah. And it came out, and it was successful within today's model. We mm-hmm. sold, uh, I can't remember how many copies it sold, but did it sell millions? No, that really doesn't exist anymore. But it was successful uh, within within today's market. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a as a solo artist, for me, I couldn't even get arrested these days. Even like uh, you know, being a having a, a a good deal to do with Chicago Thirty, I had several cuts on the record. A lot of publishers didn't want anything to do with me. They you know, it just wasn't a, sh- a sure thing for them. They're all running scared. Yeah. So. On on one level, I'm sitting there looking at it, going, "Why even try? You know, what, what, you know, what's yeah. you're just you just keep fighting, you keep you know uh, running up against the wall, and then all of a sudden, I do this little experiment, and bang, they tell you, I want to hear from you, <laughs> you know, it, it, and 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 it it throws gasoline on the fire. So sure does. It's funny because I've got this great gig that continues, and I love being in the span. I have no desire at all to try and break out and be a solo artist. I, yeah. I'm away from my family as much as, as, as it is, and I don't want to put any more energy into into being away from them. Well, it seems as if this is just a, the, the perfect marriage for you. You're having totally. your cake and eat it, too. I mean, That's most people wouldn't even dream of this. And uh, and now with, uh, you know, like you're saying, uh, putting some gas on... On, on the on the flame with 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 uh, you know with your contacts through MySpace and and you know what who who knows what what other things are going to open up in the future but it's yet to come you know but um, um, you know I, I congratulate you guys on the, on, a, on a great album I think thirty w- was a wonderful thank uh, you so, so I, do we I, I think it was a wonderful piece of, of work and uh, and the collaboration and in fact uh, I think you you contributed to around seven of the pieces in writing but right. but it has that classic sound and. And I think you guys delivered for what you wanted. It seemed a nice, deliberate piece of, hey, this is going to be, it's been a while since we've uh, recorded. Let, let's deliver something classic. And you guys did it. Very nicely done. Well, thank you. And and, uh, and we felt the same way. What's interesting is what we're talking about, you know, going on from here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to get on radio. And what is radio anyway? It's a, it's a, right. it's a dying breed anyway. Uh you know, once again, where do you go from here? It's funny you got you asked the question, or said, 
you know, it looks like classic rock is really making a resurgence. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, here Bobby has talked to me, and Joseph mm-hmm. Williams also who's yeah. in the band. And I got a lot of friends that are kind of sitting around, like wondering what to do. <laughs> and I'm telling you, uh, you know, I want to make some records that aren't copies of what we used to do. Yeah. But getting back to that thing of, of the song, that's what's been great about going to Nashville. Is I'm writing with some of the biggest and greatest songwriters on the planet right now, and they know about this. So, like, I bring these these established. Um, you know, classic artists to the table who still want to rock, man. I mean, everybody in our band, you know, Chicago is 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 pumped about yeah. you know continuing to 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 come up with new music. We had a great time on Thirty, and there's there's no reason why we should stop now. So, you know, I you know I don't uh, I'm not trying to be something that I'm not, but I I see a, a world out there and uh, you know people that want to hear a lot of classic. Mm-hmm. Rock type music, so let's you know, make some. You made a really good point, and, uh, and and you know I commend you for this. But you said it's about playing, and, and you know what, <laughs> you know classic rock. I mean, the guys that participated played their music. You know, they literally right. did, and they toured. And when they toured, they played their music, right? And and they still do. So so I mean, I you know the horn section that you guys did on thirty, I mean, is as tight as ever, really really nice and polished. But you know what? Some guys that uh, in, in in the upper age bracket, you know, you lose your horn lip. You know what I mean? The, mm-hmm. It gets real loose, and you don't you lose your 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 ability to really blow a horn. But these guys are sharp, and and there's lots of bands, you know, that uh, like for instance, the guys in Toto. Look at Lukather. I mean. The, these guys are still playing the socks off of bands, and I think they're right. there's still an audience that really wants to hear people play real instruments. Oh, I see it every year. You know, we that's another thing I see when we tour are the the uh, fifteen to twenty five year old kids that come out and yeah. they're starting to come to our you know our shows. I've seen it ramping up over the last five years. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. It's because of that reason, and the songs are great. You know, mm-hmm. they, they hear uh, melodies and, and performances and stuff. So that, that's what, you know, Tris Imboden, our drummer, and I have been talking a lot recently about how, you know, it's um, the band, Chicago just celebrated its 40th year wow. as a group Jeez. this year, February 15th. Mm-hmm. And Tris and I have been working on some stuff here at my house, and we talk about it and say, you know, some people might look at us and say, well, are they in the 11th inning of their career? How much longer are they going to do it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, I haven't seen anybody who's saying that they want to quit, yeah. and, and I believe it's going to continue for a good while because we're into it. And when we go out on stage, I'm happy to say that I, I can't find one guy who's up there phoning it in. Right. And so, so, you know, the conversations Tris and I have is, are... How do let's just assume that uh, that maybe if if this was you know sort of the end of it how do you want to how do you want to go out do you want to go out as something that was just sort of limping or just firing on all twelve cylinders and so you know I, it's almost that, that that old saying of take it one day at a time and you know take it a year at a time you know uh, a season at a time we're going to be out this this uh, summer and and touring again a lot. Uh, I think we got some dates with America. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't see any end in sight, but, but, but for the immediate future, say, man, I'm so proud of this group that just goes yeah. out and, and, uh, and hammers right. every night. And, um, and I'm, I think that's a pretty amazing feat for somebody who's been around 40 years. You're right. 
Hey, Jason, just uh, switching gears a little bit here. You know, obviously, um, you know, you come from a musical background, a very musical family. And as a matter of fact, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jason's father was also a bass player. And uh, he was uh, – probably his better known role was one of the go-to bassists uh, that Elvis used back in the in the 70s. How big of an influence was your dad on you in, in picking up the bass and, and starting to play the bass? Mm-hmm. Well, to tell you the truth, uh, he was in the Navy down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And my mother was a singer, so they met in a band and uh, fell in love and had a couple of kids. And, and, uh, and it didn't quite work out for them. So, um, so he ended up moving to Los Angeles, and we were down in San Diego. So it wasn't like, uh, like a real... Uh, hands-on situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really felt that I took to the bay. I'll tell you the truth: is that when we put our our band together, my first band I was in, in either fifth or sixth grade, everybody jumped on all the other instruments, and the bass was the the one that was left. I was happy to do it because my dad was a bass player. Um, my first bass was a, a, a guitar that I just played the top four strings. <laughs> Strings on, but mm-hmm. it's funny because the minute I started doing that and thinking about bass parts, it felt very natural to me. I knew that uh, once I got a bass in my hands, um, that I, I knew it was going to be a good fit. But uh, it's funny, like I said, I didn't really grow up around it, seeing it happening. But I, over the years, when I'd be playing, I would play a line uh, that was much more um, mature mm-hmm. than wh- where I was. Mm-hmm. Like say, say the first couple of years that I was playing the instrument, and I'd always know that that was my dad coming through me. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I could feel it. It's like you know, that's people would say, "Man, you sound so seasoned and and so mature for your age." And I said, "You know, I know where that comes from. That's right. the genetic thing coming through my dad." But yeah. uh, he's a great guy, and and um, you know, he was up in Los Angeles, and and uh, you know, becoming one of the first call players and. Uh, yeah, he was with Elvis from 69 until Elvis died, but uh, some of the other records he played on that were really pretty killer were yeah. uh, The Association, Along Comes Mary was the first hit he played on. Really? That's cool. But wow. one of the coolest ones is, and I don't know if you know about this, guys, but he was the bass player on the L.A. Woman album. Yeah, really? that's right. Yeah, Riders on the Storm, baby. Yeah. That's Jerry Chef. <laughs> that had such a prominent... Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's oh. one of the all-time greatest bass players that ever walked the face of the earth. Yes. Sungate, he'll tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And David's another one. I see those two, those two guys remind me a lot of each other. Although David's more of a a bridge to uh, a bit more modern playing, where he yeah. actually like slapped and pulled strings once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you grew like you said. You grew up in the San Diego scene. You you, you played the club circles and so on, but. When you uh, moved to L.A., you hopped on to play with the Keen brothers, Tom and John. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about how you first connected with these two guys. And, and to this day, those guys are incredibly talented arrangers, composers, and musicians. Yep. Um, I remembered seeing them on either Mike Douglas or Merv Griffin when I was probably about 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And telling my mother, wow, if I could meet those kids, I know we'd make some great music together. Because to be honest with you, back then, you know, I'd been playing for a couple of years, and I went from Kiss to Weather Report almost <laughs> overnight, Gene Simmons <laughs> to Jocko, and and I, that's that's what turned me on was Fusion and yeah. you know, Return to Forever and Stanley Clark and yeah. all that, mm-hmm. and so that's what I was playing. But I grew up in a in a beach community, so all the other kids my age were playing surf music. Yeah. 
And so uh, I started getting, you know, making a name for myself, and I really thought I was the only game in town. Everybody was telling me I was, so I, you know, why, you know, I went with it, you know, going, yeah, I play this music, and these other guys don't. Then I saw the Keen Brothers on television, and they eclipsed me, man. I'll tell you, that was a humbling experience where I thought, man, those guys are light years beyond where I was. So, I, like I said, I, I said, if I could ever meet those guys, I know we'll make some great music together. Mm-hmm. And we, um, I got to town, and they were some of the first people I met. A, a friend of mine, Peter Atanasoff, a great guitar player, said to me, you've got to meet my friends, Johnny and Tommy and Johnny Keen. And I said, are those those kids that were? And he goes, yeah. And we, <laughs> we met each other and hit it off. We are still, to this day, the best of friends. I <laughs> talked cool. to Tom just the other day, and John and I stay in touch. And what's cool is that Tom used to take me around. Here's, here's a little bit of um, uh, connection to, to Toto. Is that Tom, David Foster produced the first uh, Keen Brothers album, and I believe that was David's first production ever, really, uh, on that scale. And he used, you know, some of the Toto guys on it, and Champlin was singing background vocals on it. So, da- so Tom kept a, a relationship with David over the years. So when I came to town, I was Tom's little lackey, you know, that, that he'd call me and say, hey man, want to go to Dablin? Foster's producing the tubes. And i go, oh, okay. And so we, we went down there and they were working on uh, the Inside Outside album and I was just like, I was Tommy's little buddy standing off to the side of the room. And so I met Foster, but, uh, you know, there wasn't anything close or special, you know. And then Tom called me another time and said, hey man, want to go down to Dablin? Foster's producing Chicago. Check this out. So I go down there with them, and they're cutting drums on Hard to Say I'm Sorry. This is wow. a comeback wow. record, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Tom's little snot-nosed kid buddy, you know. Once again, I'm just kind of... And I remember Robert Lamb walking in with a sweat, you know, a sweat. Really? Oh, yeah. That's cool. Oh, dude. And, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like flipping out. Here's Chicago, right? So I go on my merry way, and I remember when, when Hard to Say I'm Sorry came out on the radio, and that was their comeback, and thought, man, I remember when they were cutting drums on this. So... All of a sudden, I'm just kind of kicking around L.A. a little more, and, and uh, I got a publishing deal so that somebody would start talking about me, you know, basically the, the work of a manager. And sure enough, within two months, um, Warner Brothers called asking for uh, a writer to possibly collaborate with, P- with Peter Cetera for his solo album. Uh, and they said, well, yeah, we got this new guy, and they sent a, um, a tape over to them. And Peter had left Chicago, but Warner still had him uh you know once he went solo and the story goes that they heard my tape and said wait a minute it sounds like this could be the guy we're looking for to replace him in in chicago they're still Hmm. looking so that that thing started rolling and i called john keen who was over at jeff percaro's house at the villa you know they're all his, his old uh studio in valley village and John and Buzz Feeton were in cutting uh, some tracks, and that was the band that we had put together, but I'd gone off on my own. Mm-hmm. John and Buzz kept it together. So I called up, and I, I was going to, uh, I had already talked to Howard Kaufman, who manages Chicago, and I had just gotten the opportunity to audition. So I call, and Jeff answers the phone. Yo! I said, <laughs> Jeff, it's Jason. And he goes, What's happening? And I said, uh, You know, I'm just calling to talk to uh, John, uh, and he says, Okay, but before I put you on, man, I wanted to run something by you. <laughs> I was talking to my friend Bobby Lamb the other day, and he told me that they're looking for a singer. 
And I, you know, I didn't think about it. But then all of a sudden, the next day, I, I thought, what about Jason, man? He's got the vocal chops. He Check plays the bass. And I said, <laughs> I just talked to Howard Kaufman, and I'm going over tomorrow. And I felt Jeff hold the phone out, and he, he was like, Hi! he tells the guys, he's talking to Howard Kaufman tomorrow. He was so happy. Are you kidding me? And that's classic <laughs> Jeff Ricardo. He was always trying to help. What a piece wow. of, oh, that's an amazing story. That's cool. Is that's that, is that, cool. And, and, and then the best part about it is I get the gig, and two months later, I hear that Toto's looking for a singer, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so I'm with this publisher, Unicity, who has, you know, two songs to my catalog, but now I'm in, in the group Chicago. Yeah. And there's these other great writers down there, and so all of a sudden, I hear they're looking for a singer, so I call Jeff. Yeah. Yo! <laughs> hey, Jeff, it's Jason. What's happening? I said, hey, man, I hear that you guys are looking for a singer, and then he goes, we're looking, we're looking. <laughs> and I said, well, you probably know him because he's been around forever, but, man, I've been hearing his demos. I've worked on a couple of them. What about Joseph Williams? Jeff says, I just hit my head. Of course we know about Joe. Why didn't I think of that? How did we find him? And I said, here's the phone number. Call over. They'll give you his demos. And boom, Joe was in the band. And I remember I got a little special thanks on that. I just hit my head. That's something, man. So we were all helping each other out. That's cool. How did you first connect with uh, Jeff Porcaro, if you'd mind me asking? Uh, Let's see. Probably through Tom or John Keane. Uh Uh-huh. Um, in fact, I remember being at Kirkwood Bowling Alley with John Keane. I think he wasn't even driving yet. He was 15, <laughs> and I was Jeez. driving. So, they, so, And these are the types of things that would happen with these kids, man, is that we'd just be at the bowling alley playing arcade games, and all of a sudden John would go, Hey, man, you want to call Jeff? And I'm like going, Sure. You know, I didn't know him, but, you know, okay. So John would get on the phone. He's this little kid with this little voice, and he just goes, you know, I'll never forget. He says, uh, you know, Jeff answers the phone, and I know that you'll be surprised that he answers it. Yo. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> and John says, hi, Jeff, it's John. And John says, or Jeff says, what's happening? <laughs> you know, and John says, oh, I don't know, man. What are you doing? He goes, nothing, man, nothing. <laughs> and uh, he says, I saw you on TV the other day. And, and uh, Jeff says, yeah, well, I don't know about that, man. He, and I love that, that Jeff was never really into being like the TV star. Right. It's always about right. music, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but those are the types of things. I think it was through, it had to have been through through Tom and John. But uh, and, I'll, and I'll never forget bringing Chicago 18, my first album I did, into, we were all down at, I think, uh, uh, Lion Share, and, and Toto was in the next room, and I brought it in, and I said, hey, man, do you want to hear the first single? And they're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we put it on, and it was a remake of 25 or 6 to 4. And I'll never forget watching Jeff looking at the speakers and how he listened to music. Hmm. And he was, like, checking it out. And, and, and the song finished, and, and everybody else up to that point, you've you got to remember, they were like, oh, this is incredible, you guys, man. This is, oh, what a wonderful thing. Everybody's, like, you know, really sucking up, you know. And we finished that first uh, I finished that pass of uh, 25 or 64, the remake, and Jeff looked at me and just goes, oh, that's bold. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know what he meant. I'm going, what does that mean, you know? And he was absolutely right that it was a big risk because it didn't work, you know? Yeah. At that point, all the program directors, here once again is the old model, is that all the program directors were, were in their you know, early 40s. You know, mm-hmm. they were the band's age back then. 
And so they really felt we were spitting on the flag to try and remake that song. What's weird is that where they played it was getting great calls, and, um, but they, the program directors basically boycotted it. It was like, you know, hmm. this is like, like uh, Mick Jagger redoing Satisfaction yeah, or something, yeah. which is right. preposterous. But the funny thing was that if they had let it just go to the audience, it would have had a completely different outcome. Yeah. I need to say real quickly, though, that it's funny because I hear this whole uh, movement on, on you know, uh, the suits are the evil empire and the industry. I don't agree with that because, you know what, without them, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They brought us to where we are, and the, and the, the fact that a record deal... It, you know, gives you if you're a big artist, gives you 15 cents on the dollar, which is highway robbery. They had to operate like that because they lost so much money on all the other um, records they they put out. But the shift that I see in that is that that's because they were all guessing, they were all making educated guesses, they were test marketing, they were doing this and that. Now I find it so interesting to just find your fans, and then you're not guessing at anything. Yeah, right. Put it out there and test it, you know, by mm-hmm. them, and uh, and they will decide. You know, um, mm-hmm. once again, you were saying the idea of of making a CD and letting the fans get a hold of it. Here's what I what I'm interested in doing, and I'm doing is I have about 80 songs sitting around from the last three years that I've been going to Nashville writing. Yeah, I'm going to put all of those and then some, whatever I'm writing currently, one at a time, up on an, on a site. And you can choose what your playlist is, and it may not even, it probably won't even all be my material anyway, but you decide. Um, if I have to go somewhere to a club gig or something or a, or a fan club convention and I know that I'm going to need some physical CDs there so that people can have something for me to sign and everything, well, then uh, within this interactive environment, all right, friends, come up with the playlist. Yeah. You, just, you tell me what a great uh, song order is, and then I'll whip the CD up and, and give you credit. It's, it, it's amazing what the potential is, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. It's, and I'm already, you know, I'm not guessing at this. I'm seeing it happening on MySpace, and uh, you know that's why I'm right in the process of JasonChef.com migrating to the proper platform to really open this thing up so that it's, yeah. you're not just sitting there listening to four songs mm-hmm. you're right. on MySpace. You're able to actually get them. And I have all kinds of different ideas on on, on how I want to distribute this music from everything from, okay, the fans that are, that are dying right now that have heard my quote-unquote singles on right. MySpace, <laughs> I want to get that music into their hands. So if it's an individual download, okay. But who knows? It might even be, I, I, I kind of find it interesting to think of maybe just giving the music to people and that uh, maybe, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger experience, you know, rather than here's my song, and that's the end of it. Yeah. I like the fact that it's it, that it's interactive. I love, you know, I, I like I said, I, I went out to the Bluebird and did this gig, and I hung out in the parking lot with those uh, there were about twenty twenty five people, and we talked about <laughs> the industry and what, you know, how fun this is and and everything. And, and I believe that is definitely the future, at least for for those of us that have been around for a while. And I think probably in general, right. Um, you know, I, I want to hop on to just uh, a couple of questions regarding Chicago um, 30. 
you know, being that that you are one of the lead vocalists, uh, and I know that uh, you you share the sometimes the lead uh, from with you know Robert Lamb, Bill Champlin, and sometimes even Walter. You know, in in your designing this new album, you know that it's been a while since you you've recorded. So you're in the studio and you're collecting material and you're actually you're writing material. How did you manage to spread out the the jobs of the lead vocals on on this on this new project? How did how did you guys uh, uh, divvy up the the vocals? on this well you know what's funny is that robert lamb came to me probably in the last three or four years and and asked me why don't you write songs for other singers in the band and i thought man i've never even thought of that mm-hmm. and then i thought that's what he's done he wrote 25 or 6 to 4 right. and sarah sung it and robert's always kind of done that he's cast and i thought what a great idea so on this album um you know jay demarcus of rascal flats and I became really good friends. And I, you know, in part of my travels to Nashville, uh, we wrote a lot of songs that basically I would say became the nucleus of that album of Chicago 30. And that was really what got everybody excited to pull the trigger and make an album was that we got Rascal Flatts involved in it, and, and we have a duet with them on the album. Jay ended up producing it. So you know, once we realized that he was choosing uh, a good portion of of my songs for the record. You know, we all sort of went into trying to figure out the right casting of vocals because if I have seven songs on the yeah. record, if I'm singing all seven, it's it's not balanced. So it was kind of cool because songs like Caroline, right? Um, you know, that was we already knew that uh, that Bill was going to sing on some of that, but it was really cool because he sang the first, um, he sang the verses and the B sections, and then I sang the chorus, and then all of a sudden, uh, Robert came to town for vocals, and he said, "Man." go out and sing these verses, and it was just great to have that contrast of another vocalist. So it really was, um, you know, it was ultimately Jay's decision who produced it, but we all threw ideas around of like, yeah, let's try and and and, uh, and have you sing on this. But that's another thing that I find so exciting about the new frontier, is that up to this point, if we were trying to make a record and target it to radio, then there's a there's a pretty uh, preconceived notion of what the identity of the band is, and so okay, this guy's going to sing this, the tenor's going to sing this. Well, now I love the idea that say that if Chicago ended up with a with a uh, an interactive um, platform, or maybe not even interactive, but a platform to be able to put new music out on. Mm-hmm. Once again. If we're not really thinking in terms of a CD, per se, but just getting new music out to them, so there's no distribution, uh, no manufacturing costs, um, it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper sure. to, to get that music out there. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, the idea of anybody having a song that doesn't make the album is gone. Yeah. Bring everything to the table. <laughs> and... Who wants to sing? We got a lot of singers in this band. Our guitar player has a great voice. Lee Lochnane, our trumpet player, has a beautiful voice. Really? And everybody sang. In fact, I got one for you. How about different guys uh, singing different versions of, of the songs? Let the fans decide. You know, if mm-hmm. any guy wants to say, hey, I think I could do a great vocal uh, on that, do it. Yeah. And then you don't even have to limit. Like, if another guy says, I think I could too. Great, and you got two great 
vocals on it. Right. Put them both out. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's so unbelievable, the potential of all this. I, I hear a lot of people saying the industry is dead. It's over. We saw the heyday. Not in our band, but I mean in general. You know, yeah. all, you know what's our place in all this? I think we are about ready to see one of the most unbelievable revolutionary periods ever in music. Yeah. I know it, in fact. I know it. Within the next five, ten years, it's just going to be unbelievable. Now, you're going to have a lot of bad stuff out there, just like the concept of Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. You know, right. there's a lot of misinformation. Sure. But pound for pound, it's so massive and awesome that it is the, the most incredible encyclopedia in the world. But it's not a perfect right. entity. You Absolutely. Know, it's, it's, you, you're going to have to weed through a little bit, but I'd rather have that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you'd rather have the options. And I love the idea that it's a living, breathing thing, that yeah. it has basically an intelligence of its own. I mean, that's, those are the types of things that really turn me on these days, is to think in terms of music being that, that you put it out there, and suddenly the fan becomes uh, a co-developer. They're giving you feedback. Oh, well, I like this, but I don't like this. And, and then you're constantly changing it. And then suddenly you have all these, ver- like I said, the guy who said he wanted to buy every version that I put up of this, of this remix of my song. I mean, I get it. You know, the, the possibilities are absolutely endless. All it's going to take are people who, uh, you know, have the courage to put themselves out there like that because it's the days of having a piece of art and music or whatever that's totally finished yeah. and has to have this standard of, oh, this is, it's got to measure up to this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but what I've seen on this MySpace page of my own, people aren't even really that much concerned with that. They, <laughs> they love being part of a process, have a relationship, and, and like I said, that is motivating to me as yeah. an artist. Yeah, that's, it's, the, it's the future. It's, I, it I really is. So. Um, I want to touch a little bit about last year you toured with the Earth, Wind & Fire. And uh, it was an amazing show. In fact, consequently, after that, I've, I've even seen that concert uh, on television actually several times. But um, whose concept is was it to, to bring Earth, Wind and & Fire and Chicago together to the same stage? Because if you think about it, if you separate them demographically, sometimes uh, there may be a different fan base for both of, you know, for both of them in a way. Not Maybe not two, but, but you understand my point. But you bring them together and you had this incredible show. Oh, I, I thought I thought it was uh, really cool. How, how did that whole thing happen? Well, as it was coming together, the first day of rehearsal, I remember going there, and <laughs> somebody said, "I think that one of their managers said, whose idea was this? <laughs> <laughs> this is genius. Who came up with this?" Yeah. And Verdine and I were standing there, and I said, "You know what's funny is that success has a thousand fathers." Yeah. And failure is a lonely orphan. Right. Right. I said, when this thing goes out and it does well, you watch and see everybody and their mother jumping to say, it was my idea. Yeah. I thought of it. <laughs> what I understand is that our manager, Peter Chivarelli, had brought this to the table several years ago. Okay. Um, and people did not get it. They thought it was, I don't know, just once again, it's. You know, they, they run it. They have to run it by a lot of people sure, and, absolutely. and uh, committees and stuff like that. But I know Peter brought this to the table a long time ago. But I have to say that as a fan of certain bands through, through my lifetime, Earth, Wind & Fire, Weather Report, yeah. Elton John, 
Toto. Over the years, when people say, you know, what about a package? You know, there have been a couple that I have act, I have really championed the cause for. One was Earth, Wind, and Fire, yeah. and uh, we ran into them uh, in Portland probably five years ago, and you know, the talk was, we ought to do some dates together, man. We we should really, you know, get together, and that happens a lot. You know, you'll mm-hmm. see people out there. Sure. But Verdeen White is literally one of the top three bass players that, that shaped me yeah. as a bass player. And so running into him and seeing that he was uh, a peer of mine was uh, was a dream come true. Yeah. And he and I said, let's get together and let's, uh, let's try and push this. Verdeen came over to my house several times, He's been over for Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners and stuff, and he and I worked pretty hard over the over the the two years from when we saw them planting the seeds in both camps. Still, you know, I remember talking to Peter about it, and he said, "Man, I came up with that idea, and, and people don't want it." And just from a from a fan level, I didn't know if any any you know if it would be a ticket, you know if we'd sell any tickets or anything like that. But just as a fan, I wanted to hang out with those guys so bad and play with them that that I kept I kept bringing it up once in a while, you know. And then all of a sudden they put it together. So I don't know, you know, if maybe Verdine and I had, uh, you know, some influence on it as well. Yeah. But I know Peter, our manager, was really working on it. Well, it was a genius idea, and, uh, you know, I've number one, I, I don't think I, I know of a bassist who can move around and actually play the <laughs> instrument just like Verdine oh, can. amazing to watch. But, uh, <laughs> my God. You know. I have to tell you that I heard <laughs> I heard rumors, and I know how they'd get started because it it almost looks physically impossible. <laughs> I, I heard rumors that he wasn't playing and that it was all um, taped and this and that. What's the truth there? And now that I've been on stage with him, it is unbelievable how he pulls that off. But um, it is him playing every <laughs> single note and jumping around like that. He didn't miss a beat, did he? Not once. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it just blows my mind. It does. It blows my mind because he is so awesome. And I have a song that I wrote with my friend Greg Barnhill called Now. And it was up on MySpace <laughs> um, that I had him play on. And their drummer, we we went through Nashville, and Greg and I wrote it, and it's a total Earth Wind tune. I, we were actually trying to work it up as a duet. That's why Verdine went and played on it because I wanted to bring it as a duet of Chicago and Earth Wind. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen in the future. But it is really such an Earth Wind vibe. And yeah. I'll I'll put it up next week on on uh, myspace.com slash Jason Chef. Cool. I'll put now up there, which is Verdine. Um, playing bass on this and I did most of the vocals just about all of them Barnhill sings some some uh, some some Maurice White sort of ad-libs in the chorus cool. but yeah man so good. it was a great tour and, and we hope to be doing it again one of these days good hey, Jason you're such a, a talented songwriter in your own right would you would you say that your experience with Chicago has, has elevated your writing skills and how important is it for you to collaborate with with other musicians outside of the band yeah it's absolutely elevated my uh my songwriting. What what I find interesting one more one more time is that when I joined the group, I was 23 years old and I replaced Peter Cetera at yeah. the peak of their career. So you got to know that my publishers and everybody was like really leaning on me. You got to write songs of the caliber that Peter wrote. <laughs> what? It's, you're the inspiration and and uh, hard to say. I'm sorry. I mean. Uh, 
I don't know, but, uh, you know, I was pretty uh, young and stupid enough to think that, you know, I could actually go in and, and do the gig, but to, to come up with songs like that, that was pretty overwhelming. I, I did my best, and I wrote a couple of hits, What Kind of Man Would I Be, and um, a song that was a pretty big AC hit called We Can Last Forever. But to me, that was that was putting a lot of pressure and limiting yourself to, and I found myself kind of paralyzed at times thinking I, I, it's overwhelming I can't I can't come up with that now the fact that all of those that those governors are taken off because I don't have to try and write a hit or a blockbuster <laughs> I find that the most liberating thing of all and I'm just glad that I stuck around long enough so that I have a chance to do it yeah that's yeah. neat but yes it has it, it's 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 elevated my writing but but the thing that I'm probably the most grateful for is that it's given me access to all the phenomenal songwriters out there yeah. mm-hmm. that have been fans and that want to get together. You know? Right, yeah. That's Nashville. There's one cut on the new album. It's called Already Gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the song is um, surprisingly long. It's seven minutes long. Right. But... I just want to tell you that I just really dig the opportunity that you guys gave listeners to actually listen to the music and to get into the vibe. You know, you don't people don't build songs like like that anymore. Stevie Dan used to, you know, sing lyrics for for a minute and a half, and everything else was just plain music. And, and, it, and it was a real a real neat composition that allowed for musicianship. Um, was that the intent of that song? Not, you know, it's funny. I don't think originally. Um, Do you know what Bill, I mean? Bill is such a great musician and writer man and, and he and he definitely comes from that place that uh i mean the, the changes in in that song are so cool and they're, yeah. they're, they're so unorthodox in that uh in that uh chorus but at the very end it's funny you'd say that because the very end when it goes into sort of a jam thing it yeah. actually is almost toto-esque if you think it, it really is and we actually you know I, I wish we would have called them because i remembered some i think our guitar player said man you know who you should get on this is Paige to play piano yeah. on the on the outro because it was a it was just mm-hmm. a no brainer for him. But we just we 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 rushed through that album so fast, man. Jay only had two months to make it top to bottom, and that's what we did. We went to Nashville, and yeah. once again, you know, it was a rush job, and I'm proud of it because we're you know we're we're pretty fast, but. I, you know, I, I, I'll probably sound like the broken record, and Joseph Williams calls me the huckster because I'm so excited <laughs> about the future. But once again, you know, we're not under the constraints of having a time uh, schedule to finish anything. You know, one song at a time, baby. Right. <laughs> I love it. It's like you know, so uh, hmm. you know, this will, you know, the, the 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 next music that you'll hear from Chicago will be at least uh, the way it's created. Totally different than anything that I've been involved in before. Mm-hmm. See, that's what's funny is I go to these message boards once in a while and I read, you know, the the, the real hardcore fans that were around at the very beginning. Right. And uh, and I, I and I've I've participated in them. You know, I say to them, look, I'm not trying to win anybody over or make you like me. I but I want to I want to hear what you have to say, and yeah. I'd like for you to hear what I have to say, and I want you to hear my new music, and let's let's get involved in this uh, in this revolution together. Because I hear what you're saying, you know they they want uh, a lot of the spirit of, of the old, the original uh, music. And what I find so interesting is that if anybody, if anybody has looked at the period that I've been involved in the group as uh, as, as a, a period that they aren't the most fond of, you know the experimental era. You know, mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. if you think about it, I joined 
at the peak of really preconceived ideas and agendas and, and focus that I've never been part of an experimental period of this band yeah. until now. Right. And I, I, I just find that so unbelievably exciting because uh, we get to go back to what it was all about in the beginning. And the great news is that we're not starting over and having to worry about having that become successful to exist. We have a great fan base. We can go out and tour every year like we do. But the sky's the limit. Who wants to make music? Is anybody <laughs> interested in, in, in making some music? Well, the answer is yes, from, yeah. from what I've heard from the guys and these, these incredible songwriters that wrote amazing Chicago hits right. are motivated, man. They're pumped. Well, you know, if you think about it, you said something really interesting. You know, you're talking about the new way of, of innovation of music. Think back on 67, though, when the big thing was there, you know, the whole concept of a, a rock band with horns. I mean, that was so obtuse of a, an idea. You follow me? Mm-hmm. And but they did it. It was sort of experimental. It people latched onto it. It was innovative. It was fresh, and it still continues. You know, so it, it gets to a different level of of innovation. And I appreciate uh, that you're you're looking ahead as to how to deliver fresh music. Well, that's exactly the way I look at it. That it seems like it's it's the mid '60s to late '60s all over again. In that it's yeah. very experimental. People are making music because uh, they they have fans that want to hear it. They're not. They're not, and I'm careful to not hammer the industry once again. But yeah, right. look, it, it sort of just obviously got out of control where it was too um, corporate, you know. But back then, they were they were just getting together and jamming, you know. They were getting together, just like when we go out on the road this summer. I'll take my laptop, my mic, my front end, uh, and just keep making noise. And yeah. whoever wants to get involved, boom, you know, we'll make make noise and put it up immediately for the fans to hear that night get involved and who knows if it'll turn into chicago music or jason music or whatever but that sounds to me i wasn't there for it but everything i've heard about it sounds like that's what they were doing <laughs> so it's, you know it's, it's right there again and, right and uh, people boy those of us and that's what's what's great about bands like toto and chicago and and the classic rock groups is that we have the long tail, yeah. what they talk about. We have this legacy that uh, you know that, that just keeps going and keeps going, so um, we can build to it. Well, hey, Jason, uh, I know you're, you're you're busy right now. You're writing songs, and, and I know you've got uh, touring coming up with Chicago. Any other uh, outlooks for 2007 for you? That's about you know we've covered it all, and I, yeah. I really appreciate you guys calling me and talking about this because as, as you can tell, I mean I'll talk for three or four hours about <laughs> it. It's just such interesting stuff, and and uh, that's pretty much it. Chicago's going out for our fortieth year, uh, twenty one for me, um, and we're going to be doing some dates with America. I think we got some dates with Cool and the Gang too, which sounds really cool. It's going to be no fun, pun intended. Yeah. But um, you know and. You know, one thing that I've always, once again, just like Earth, Wind, and Fire, I've brought to the table many times that I would love to see Toto and Chicago tour together. Oh, that'd be sweet. Really would. So, you know, hopefully maybe something like that could come down. We're we're on each other's records. I mean, I sang a little bit on (laughs) on, uh, Falling in Between, and uh, uh, Bobby was on our record. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going out to tour again, and I'm just really excited about the new music, and, and anybody who wants to 
uh, you know, if you if you go to www.jasonchef, J-A-S-O-N-S-C-H-E-F-F dot com, that will point to at least right now the MySpace page, and mm-hmm. eventually to where I I go with uh, with the the Uber <laughs> interactive site. Um, you, you know, and if, if anybody's you know interested in this, just come and check it out, and I blog and subscribe to my blog and and get involved. You know, let's. Uh, it is me personally. Um, connecting with the fans. I don't have yeah. anybody running the site for me, answering the, the uh, email. It's all me, and uh, yeah. I really feel that th- this is the future. Sure. I subscribe to your blog there, and I, I get updates from you every day, so it's it's pretty cool. Beautiful. I know I saw you there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you, Rick. <laughs> well, cool. Well, Jason, thanks so much for spending time with us on Inside Music Cast. No problem. Well, the best to you, okay? Thank you. You too. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Special thanks to Jason Chef for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new podcast once every other week, so be sure to check your podcast downloads for the next episode of Inside Music Cast. If you have a question or a suggestion for the show, please drop us an email at input at insidemusiccast.com. That's input at insidemusiccast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Stay subscribed to Inside Music Cast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com. <laughs>